Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio and our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Sobrato Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, I think when anyone in California uses the words master plan and education in the same sentence, most people will think about California's famous master plan for higher education that was passed in 1960. It's hard to believe it's been six decades, Lewis. Well, those six decades have given California the chance to build up this world-class public university system with UC, CSU, and the community colleges. But last week, another master plan for education was put out. It's actually called the Master Plan for Early Learning and Care. It's a plan that Governor Newsom really promoted and is backing strongly. And we wanted to spend some time this week talking about this new master plan. Well, you know, we do have a K-12 system. We have a higher education system, but we really don't have a system for kids between birth and five. What we have is sort of grown by accretion, and it's under the authority of various departments in the state bureaucracy. One of the things that's happened since the Master Plan for Higher Education came out is a recognition that it's the early years that are perhaps the most important, and that if kids don't get that foundation, many of them will never catch up. And so no matter how good a post-secondary system we have, if all kids don't get an early start, they may never even make it to college in the first place. And that was something Governor Newsom made a central part of his platform when he was running for governor. Well, you're right, Lewis. If we're serious about addressing the really stubborn disparities in achievement that show up later on, then you have to give kids an equal start with a really strong early education program. But, you know, one problem with the master plan, which by the way, West Ed is coordinating, is that we're now in the middle of a bad recession. So it's really not clear what part of a plan can actually be carried out soon. Yeah, I think people are talking about this as a long-term kind of project over the next five to 10 years. And to talk about the plan, we have with us Karen D'Souza. She's EdSource's early education reporter. Welcome. Thank you so much, Lewis. I'm excited to be here. What makes the master plan unusual from your perspective? I think there are a lot of things about it that are really noteworthy, one of which is it's extremely data-driven, and it builds on a lot of other foundational documents, committees, and reports. There are experts from all ends of the field who had some input in shaping this document. And so it's extremely ambitious. It's also not a quick fix. We live in kind of a magic bullet society, and that's not what this is. It's a 10-year plan gradually phasing in various approaches and reforms. So it's both a long time coming and it'll be a long time in its implementation. I think one of the things that people have been pushing for for quite a long time is universal preschool for four-year-olds and made quite a bit of progress on that front in California, but we aren't there yet. What does the master plan call for in that area? The key part of that reform would be expanding preschool, transitional kindergarten, so that all four-year-olds in the state would have access to it. In addition, low-income three-year-olds would have access to preschool. Now, when they say access, I think they're talking about more than just access, but that the state would actually offer preschool at no cost to all four-year-olds. Is that the thinking? That is the thinking. It's a big ask. Karen, there's an estimated cost of the master plan of $2 billion to $12 billion a year. Why is there such a wide range? It really depends how much we decide to take on and when. It, the estimate is $2 billion for some reforms happening soon to $12 billion a total cost at the end of 10 years when everything is phased in. 
Karen, you've looked at this document, uh, very ambitious plans, dealing with lots of kids, right? How many kids are we talking about here? California is a big state, as we all know, about 40 million people in total. And if you look just at children under the age of five, it's almost three million, which is actually as big as, as many states in this country. So it's a huge amount of children we're talking about. The hope of many advocates is that the crisis in childcare will actually shine a light on reforms that we've needed for a long time. A lot of infrastructure that needs to be built, a workforce that really needs support and training, and hopefully this crisis will draw everybody's attention that now is the time to do something. Still costs money though, so I guess we will see, we'll get a clearer idea what the governor is gonna put on the table uh, in his January budget. Thanks for laying the groundwork for us and thanks for your reporting, Karen. Thank you. That was EdSource reporter Karen D'Souza. A major focus of the master plan is not just preschoolers, as Karen was talking about, but even younger children, including infants and toddlers in childcare programs of various kinds. And these programs are overseen by California's Department of Social Services. And we're pleased to have with us Kim Johnson, the director of the department. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. You head up the Department of Social Services, and I think most people probably aren't aware that your department plays a central role in childcare. In fact, the master plan envisages expanding that role substantially. What services are you overseeing in your department? The Department of Social Services actually is the entity that licenses all uh, child care programs across California. We have about 33,000 of those programs today, inclusive of both family child care and child care centers. So we are the uh, entity that supports the nearly 1 million children in those settings in terms of health and safety in the environments in terms of regulating licensing standards across those programs. We also, of course, administer through partnerships with counties and community-based organizations, the state safety net program, which of course, again, is experiencing some growth right now, again, based on all things with the pandemic and, and ensuing recession. And so we offer the programs that are supporting children and families who need support and cash assistance, food assistance, housing assistance, but also in our TANF or our uh, Temporary Aid to Needy Families, that's our cash assistance program that supports uh, families experiencing poverty across our state. We also currently administer uh, child care for what we call stage one, which is the entry way into that program. The master plan has very ambitious goals, expanding access to child care and providing preschool for all four-year-olds and for three-year-olds when uh, they're students who have special needs. But one of the problems we find ourselves in is that we're sort of two steps back over the past year because thousands of child care centers have gone out of business because of the pandemic. How do we even get to the point where we were? We certainly will have some rebuilding to do in recruitment and have had a loss of some of those programs through the course of this year. So we will have to use a number of strategies, which the master plan speaks to. So there'll have to be a number of strategies as we work through recovery of what we've experienced uh, this year to not only increase supply of these programs across our state, but also to look at additional strategies to support families as they are going to re-enter the workforce in the coming years. Talking with Kim Johnson, she is director of the California Department of Social Services. Now, the master plan, as we were just mentioning, does talk about bringing a lot of programs now under your umbrella of your department. And 
One of the arguments that's made, and I think it's been a given in discussion about the whole sector, is that things aren't coordinated. Now, you run this department. You have so many programs already under your umbrella. Would you agree that there needs to be more coordination and more synthesis of these programs? Absolutely. One of our guiding principles, and it's certainly a principle of our Secretary of Health and Human Services, Dr. Mark Galley, as well, is when we think about how these systems are supporting families and we use that a whole family approach, we really need to think about how they're entering and getting connected and have access to any given support. And so especially those families that are experiencing poverty in our state, and we've had the, the great fortune that we'll continue to build on in terms of engaging with communities. We've heard their stories of having to have gone to multiple places uh, and entry points to get access to different benefits and resources. And so we really need to coordinate and streamline those processes so that whether it's the food assistance, the housing assistance, the cash assistance, or the child care enrollment and assistance, that that can be done uh, one time, the family telling their story one time and then getting connected through that pathway to the robust array that California has. I can imagine a lot of people would say, okay, here's another plan, another ambitious document. Is this really going to make a difference or is this just sort of a rearrangement of the bureaucracy? Just give us one or two examples of how you see this might actually improve things for people on the ground. Some examples that I can be specific about. The master plan proposes to look at the uh, CalWORKs childcare stages. There are three of them. Again, as I mentioned, the Department of Social Services administers the first stage, the Department of Education administers the second and third stage. And the intent behind creating these stages well over 20 years ago was to make sure families were getting connected to childcare as they were moving out of poverty in getting connected to the resources that all families have access to, regardless of income over time. And so certainly, while those stages were designed and that intent was there a couple of decades ago, we know now that there are some families that are experiencing some disruptions as they transition through those stages. So for example, the master plan uh, proposes to look at some consolidation and, and having one program that is having that same policy throughout the course of the family's experience. The master plan envisions a huge cost, $2 billion to $12 billion, and that's quite a range there. What are some of the priorities that are doable initially? We'll be working in the coming weeks now with both the governor's release of the January budget proposal and our conversation with the legislature to really identify of the master plan goals, where the immediate investments will need to be. We are committed to look at what we can also be doing more efficiently. We've been talking with Kim Johnson, Director of the California Department of Social Services. Thanks for talking with us today and I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much. Lewis, what's crucial to the success of any plan that says it's going to serve all of California's children is to recognize that so many of them live in households where a language other than English is spoken. And that means really looking at how the early learning system is reaching those kids. To talk about the particular needs of those students, we've invited Marlena Cepeda. She's a professor emeritus in the Department of Child and Family Studies at Cal State LA and a pioneer in the field. Welcome, Professor Cepeda. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. One of the reasons we wanted to talk with you is that, and I think most people aren't aware of this, but the majority of children between zero and five 
are dual language learners, which means that most of them are speaking another language, often in addition to English, of course, but、uh, speaking another language at home. Is that correct? That's correct. Sixty percent of children live in a home where another language other than English is spoken. So English could be present in the home in addition to another language. And speaking another language could be a great advantage for those kids, right? Absolutely. I mean, the research is very clear that bilingualism confers a number of advantages, not only to brain flexibility, attention. It helps children be more tolerant, socially tolerant of other people. There's a lot of advantages, and one of the big advantages, particularly if you're biliterate, is economic. There is research to suggest that people that are bilingual and biliterate, in particular, are more apt to be economically successful. So, how can a master plan help here to create a you know, really a new generation of bilingual students? Well, I think the master plan, if you look at it, they do pay attention to dual language learners. Something that, frankly, the state of California had not really paid attention to for the longest time. We're really in the early stages, I think, in California of thinking about bilingualism as an asset. And one of the things that you'll see in the master plan, which I was very pleased to see actually, was that they make a recommendation that there be a public awareness campaign about the benefits of bilingualism. Another thing the master plan、uh, talks about is, and it actually calls for legislation to require this, that you would have. Assessments. I mean, particularly for kids who may be struggling early on in their home languages.、Uh, apparently, there's still a need for that. Is that is that correct? Absolutely, and this is true across the nation. Actually, we have been advocating for the longest time that in order to be equitable and fair to children whose home language is not English, they need to be assessed in both languages. Because concept development happens very unevenly, and so they may know some concepts in one language, some concepts in another language, and if you're only testing them in English, you won't get the full picture of their development. But test development is a long-term proposition; it takes a long time. And I and some other colleagues have been working on some assessments over the last feels like five years for dual language learners, particularly Spanish speakers. And it becomes very complicated, and often people don't want to really engage in it because what might work for a Spanish-speaking English-speaking context might not work for a Chinese speaker and an English speaker. Well, on that note,、uh, we've been talking with Malena Zepeda, professor emeritus from Cal State LA. Thanks for talking with us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. John, I don't think we can end this episode without talking about、uh, the still the prevailing challenge in California that most kids are out of school, learning via distance learning. I understand though that there's an effort in the legislature to try to get kids back sooner rather than later, at least before next June and the end of the school year. What's、uh, what's happening there, John? Right, Lewis. On the first day of the legislative session. Three legislators who are kind of heavy hitters in the legislature:、uh, Phil Ting of San Francisco, Patrick O'Donnell of Long Beach, and Kevin McCarty of Sacramento. They introduced a bill, it's AB 10, that really says we want kids to go back to school as soon as they can in the spring. So you know everything's in purple now, and so what they're saying is, well, let's take a new start because everybody's in purple. They're going to come out, so we're going to say. That it's the state policy 
that as soon as we get out of purple and move into the next stage, the red stage, then all districts have to have a plan to begin to bring kids back to school. Well, John, it just seems to me so unlikely that the legislature and the governor, more importantly, would sign some legislation that would decree across the state when and how they should open. I mean, you, what's your sense of the prospect of something like this actually passing? Well, you know, Lewis, it's an emergency bill, and that means uh, two-thirds would be needed to pass. Even more difficult to get it through. Absolutely. So I think that says perhaps it's a little bit of pressure on the governor to start reflecting the fact that there is a lack of clarity in the various guidelines among the counties. And But uh, you know, districts are saying, show us a little bit more, just not guidelines show us more a pattern of when to return. Let us decide whether we're going to do hybrid, when we're going to bring back all students. Then I think CTA and others will say, okay, but before we go back, governor, how about putting up some money for testing? Because we can't afford that. That's not part of the deal that we had going into the pandemic. Things like that. It's trade-offs. We'll see. Well, I know that lots of parents are getting increasingly upset about the fact that the kids are still out of school. At the same time, as we speak, things are really going downhill in terms of controlling this virus. So um, this is a really difficult needle to thread in terms of balancing the safety with getting kids back in school. I want to remind those of you listening that we'd really appreciate it if you would take a minute to make a donation to EdSource's annual Newsmatch campaign. All you need to do is go to our website. You will see a little... Red heart, click on the heart, and um, please donate uh, as much as you can. We really rely on foundations and listeners like you to keep us going. When you go to the page, you'll see, Lewis, that we're over halfway there, but January 1st is coming up fairly soon. And talking about foundations, uh, we can't end this podcast without noting that this is the last time we'll be thanking Our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation, the foundation is closing its doors. It has spent all its money intentionally. We have been a beneficiary of its tremendous philanthropy over quite a few years. And they have been a key sponsor of this podcast for the last four years. So thanks to the Bechtel Foundation and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. We'll be back next week with more from This Week in California Education. 